friends, everybody. We're in this series called Greater, man. We're in this series called Greater. And um, I, I want to read a few verses of scripture found in the book of Matthew chapter number one, beginning at verse number 18. Matthew chapter one, beginning at verse number 18. And uh, I feel like it's, it's a little chilly here, a little chilly in New Jersey. Uh, might be chilly online, but... Um, but I just feel like, I feel like this is going to be a talk back Sunday. I, I, just, I just feel that. I feel like I'm going to hear New Jersey all the way here. I feel like ATL, I'm going to hear you. And I feel like online, you're about to set the, the chat on fire. We don't watch the preacher preach here. We help the preacher preach. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want to talk from this subject in our time together today, family. I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know what's going on. Clap your hands if you're ready for the word. <laughs> family. There are a number of words that are often used to describe the nature and the character of God. But for the purpose of this presentation today, I want to lift up one that I think is extremely important, yet often overlooked. Here it is for all my note takers. God is a teacher. As a matter of fact, he is one of the most interesting teachers you will ever experience. He is the only teacher that will take you to school and not tell you, you in class. You don't even know you learning something when you learned it. All of a sudden, you see yourself in a different chapter in the story of your life, and you realize and recognize you learned some things in the previous chapter that you didn't know you were learning when you learned it. Is there anybody here that can honestly admit God was teaching me some things in some circumstances where I didn't even know that's not a circumstance, that's a classroom. That wasn't a trial, that was a classroom. That wasn't a breakup. That was a classroom. He is obsessed with our learning because God understands the impact of ignorance. Ignorance is expensive. 
Did you hear what I just said? I said ignorance is expensive. It costs you to be ignorant. Whatever area we ignorant in, we suffer in. Here's the way the Bible puts it. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Do you understand then why God is so obsessed with teaching us? Because if we are destroyed by a lack of knowledge, then spiritual learning is actually an act of spiritual warfare. I'm going to say that one more time. If we are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge, then spiritual learning is actually spiritual warfare. See, the enemy, the evil one, is called the prince of darkness. And darkness is not just a metaphor for evil. Darkness is a metaphor for ignorance. The enemy operates in the area of ignorance. He wants to keep us uninformed. He wants to keep the wool pulled over our eyes. He is a deceiver that wants us to operate in deception. Therefore, when we start learning spiritually, it's an act of spiritual warfare because it disarms the enemy of the weapon of ignorance. And that's why the enemy is upset with you in this season because you want to be more than excited. You want to be informed. You want to be equipped. There are some things you've been called to do, some places you've been called to go, a person you've been created to be, and you need to be informed so that you can evolve into all that God has called you to be. I want to know, is there anybody here that refuses to let the devil keep you in the dark? Yeah, the enemy doesn't mind excitement as long as we're not informed. <laughs> because he understands something. Y'all okay this morning? He understands something called the law of exposure. And the law of exposure says, once you've been exposed, you can't be unexposed. See, once I've been excited, I can, I can move out of that excitement. But once I've been exposed, I can't be unexposed. Exposure awakens in you an appetite for something that you didn't want before because you didn't know it was possible. But once you got exposed to possibility, it created an appetite on the inside of you for something that God wants to give you, but he couldn't give you if you didn't have the want to. Did you hear what I just said? And some people don't understand this, so they become jealous of what God's trying to use to inspire them. God's like, I'm not exposing you to what I'm exposing you to so that you can be jealous of it. I'm exposing you to what I'm exposing you to because I'm trying to give you a picture of what's possible when you step into all that I've called you to be. Yeah, I was, I was recently doing a podcast. I was, I was on someone's podcast. We was promoting my book. And um, the person made a statement because the person made an assumption that I like to read. Right? He was like, he's like, he made an assumption. He's like, so man, I'm trying to be like you because I know you love to read. I say, wait, 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 wait. I love to play video games. I say, now I read, 
But that doesn't mean I love to read. I say, so if you give me a book and a game, the game win every time. I say, but the reason I do read is not because I love to read. The reason I do read is because I hate to lose. I want to talk to some people in the place today that's willing to be honest enough to admit I don't love everything that I do but there are some things I'm willing to endure on this side because I refuse to endure that on the other side so that's why I'll get up on a cold Sunday morning and press my way through four different parking lots to get into the house of God because I need to learn something I hate to lose. I hate to lose. I hate to lose. I lost enough already. I don't want to lose anymore. I know what losing feel like. I feel like I've been losing most of my life. I had enough of losing. When my Bible tells me no weapon formed against me shall prosper, it's my winning season. But winning requires more than excitement. Winning requires more than determination. Winning requires direction. This is why God is a teacher. He's a teacher. Teacher. And he uses a myriad of methods to teach us. He uses saints to teach us. What does that mean? He means he uses other people to teach us. It means that somebody can sit with you and teach you something in one day that it took them a decade to learn. Ha! I just let me pray that over somebody's life. See, see, you don't you don't know when to receive it. You gotta understand when it just shifted from a preaching presentation to a prophetic moment. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm getting ready to pray this over somebody's life that God would condense decades in the days. It took them 30 years. Some all. We talked about favor two weeks ago. It took them 30 years to learn it. I'm praying that they give it to you in a 30-minute conversation. I'm praying that you don't have to learn the lessons that everybody had to learn the hard way. It took them years to learn it. I'm praying that God would favor you with people who are generous with information and who are willing to pull back the curtain and say, no, you ain't got to experiment. I'm getting ready to show you how to. Oh, my God. Your experimenting days are getting ready to come to an end. Don't want to learn everything by experimentation. Don't want to have to mess up and have to clean up and fix up to learn every lesson. The same God that can teach me on the back end is the same God that can show me on the... The Lord is my shepherd. He uses saints to teach us. He uses... I don't know if y'all ready for this one. He uses suffering to teach us. I didn't say he causes it, but I did, I did say he uses it. He uses what he didn't cause. 
he, 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 he uses it. Bible says, uh, records David saying, he didn't say affliction was good, but this is what David said. He said, it was good that I was afflicted. He didn't say affliction was good. He said, but I know me. <laughs> and he said, it was some stuff when it come to me, I wasn't going to learn any other way. But the way God took me through it. And I believe David's not the only one that knows him. You know you. And I know me. Yeah. He uses saints. He uses suffering. But he also uses seasons. To teach us. And we're in a specific season on the Christian liturgical calendar that's called the Advent season, right? This is an Advent series. You're studying an Advent devotional that we've given you because Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus and it means coming. So the Advent season or the Christmas season is the season where people of faith celebrate and appreciate the coming of Jesus. But, but, but it's not just a time of celebration and appreciation because God is a teacher. It's also a time of education. He wants us to learn something and each week in this greater series we've been exploring lessons that we can learn from the Advent season and on today I want to lift up one more if you're not tired of it. Here it is. I want to lift up one more. Here it is for my note takers. The Advent season is an indication of God's ability to orchestrate anomalies. Okay. An anomaly family is when something happens that couldn't happen, shouldn't happen, wouldn't happen, unless God made it happen. I'm going to say that one more time. I said an anomaly is when something happens that couldn't happen, shouldn't happen, and wouldn't happen, unless God made it happen. The Bible doesn't use the word anomaly. The Bible uses the word miracle. I want somebody that won't one of them say, to say I want it. I want it. I want it. Only 30% of the room want it. New Jersey, you don't want it. Online, don't want it. I said the Bible doesn't use the word anomaly, but the Bible uses the word miracle. And miracles aren't just miracles. Miracles are messages. Miracles are God's way of saying, I'm sovereign. Miracles are God's way of saying, I, can, I am not bound by the laws of nature because I created the laws of nature. And when the laws of nature inhibit me from doing what I want to do in the life of my people, I will temporarily suspend the law of nature. Accomplish what I want to accomplish and then set the law back in place. See, the laws of nature should say, if I go in a fiery furnace, then the fire should consume me. But when the Hebrew boys went in there, God temporarily suspended the laws of nature, got the Hebrew boys out, and then set it back in place. The laws of nature say that if I go into a den filled with lions, I should be lunch meat. But with Daniel, God temporarily suspended the laws of nature and made the lions sit there and leave Daniel alone and if I look back over your life I don't have to use Daniel's testimony I don't have to use the Hebrew boy's testimony because you can look at times in your life where God suspended the laws of nature and put you where you shouldn't have been 
and protected you when you shouldn't have been protected. And if God has given you a radical blessing, even at the nine o'clock, give him a radical praise. He said, I'm not bound by the laws of nature. I created them. And when I need to temporarily suspend them to do something I need to do, I'll do it. Yep, all throughout the Bible you see this. You see an instance in the Bible with birds feeding a man named Elijah. Now, you've never seen birds feeding people. You only see people feed birds. But when God gets ready to get something to you, he will make something act contrary to its nature. He will make a taker become a giver. He will make a hater become an elevator. He will make an agitator become an usher. Yeah, don't, don't get too excited. Some people in your life hadn't changed. God has just temporarily suspended the laws of nature to get to you what he's going to get to you. And by the time they recognize what they did, they're going to be like Pharaoh. You got the gold and you're out of Egypt. It's too late now. Anomalies, miracles. And listen to me. Charles Spurgeon says something super significant about miracles. He says that natural miracles in the Bible are actually not just literal miracles. They are. But he says they are metaphors. Metaphors for spiritual miracles. So, so, so when you see a natural miracle in the Bible and you see, okay, a person got healed, that's good for them. But what are the implications for me? It's a metaphor for a spiritual miracle that can take place in my life. So if you see somebody in the Bible who can't walk, they're lame, and Jesus heals them, well, naturally, they can physically move now. But what does that mean for us metaphorically? It means that if you've ever been in a season where you felt like time was moving, but you weren't, that's spiritual paralysis. Time was moving, but my career isn't. That's professional paralysis. Time is moving, but my relationship is in the same place. That's relational paralysis. And Jesus healing lame people in the Bible is a message to you and me. Y'all better come get me this morning that no matter what kind of paralysis you have, he says, if you let me get a hold of it, that thing that has been stuck and stagnant and unmovable has got to move when I put my hands on it. I want somebody with some prophetic unction to speak to whatever's stuck in your life and say, move. Come on, y'all didn't do it. I said, speak to whatever's not moving in your life. Move. Marriage, move. Career, move. So when you see like the resurrection of the dead in the Bible, it's a metaphor 
for how God can bring life back to that which was lifeless. Lifeless departments, lifeless careers, lifeless. Watch this. You can be living a lifeless life. When Jesus, in John 10, when Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I've come that you might have life. He said that to people that's already alive. <laughs> he says, you're alive, but without life. Something has stolen your life, your vitality, and your, your zest. You had it in your innocence and in your adolescence. But there's something about adulthood that has transformed you in such a way that you've lost your childlike faith and you, you believe your past more than your future. I'm going to say that one more time. You believe your past more than your future. And so because it hasn't happened yet, you don't think it can happen. And because it hasn't happened at a certain timeline, you don't believe it's possible. So he says, Spurgeon says that literal miracles in the Bible are metaphors for spiritual ones. And there are several miracles in the Bibles that we could explore to articulate a point I'm trying to make but but I think there's one type of miracle that's 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 salient to this sermon it's that that's relevant to the revelation I believe God wants to give us today uh and, and this is when Jesus opens blind eyes so literally he's opening blind eyes right but watch this Jesus healing blindness is an indication of his ability to enable you and me to see what we couldn't see before. Come on now. You can have sight and not vision. I'm not bothering this, but I'm teaching a series in March. Uh, yeah, in March, I'm teaching a series called Red Flags. Developing your discernment. Because a lot of people blind, but they don't know it because they can see. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Blindness. When Jesus heals blindness, it enables us to see what we couldn't see before. Jesus healing blindness gives us one of the greatest gifts we could ever receive. Jesus healing blindness is him addressing a root issue that keeps many of us stuck, stared, and struggling. Jesus healing blindness is an indication of his commitment to give you what you need to be all he's called you to be. Physically, when he healed blindness, we get sight. Spiritually, when he heals blindness, we get self-awareness. <sighs> Did you hear what I just said, James family? Physically in the Bible, when he healed blindness, people got sight. But spiritually, when he heals blindness, we get self 
self-awareness. Come on, and in this series called Greater, where we're recognizing that God has called us to greatness, I need you to know that greatness requires self-awareness. And some people cannot advance because they're not aware. And some people cannot evolve because they're not aware. Here it is for my note takers. Here it is. You will be unable to get to where you want to go if you are unwilling to locate where you actually are. And many people cannot get to their desired destination because they have misdiagnosed their location. They can't soar because they can't see. Their people pleasing is keeping them stuck and they can't see it. Their codependency is keeping them stuck and they can't see it. Their hyper aggressiveness is keeping them stuck and they can't see it. Their indecisiveness is keeping them stuck and they can't see it. Their imposter syndrome is keeping them stuck and they can't see it. But when God opens your eyes and gives you awareness he's not just giving you awareness to give you awareness he's giving you awareness to give you ownership because whoever has ownership has power i'm gonna say that one more time i said he's not trying to just give us awareness just so we have awareness because when we have awareness then we can take ownership and when when you take ownership you can have power is this not what happened? Come on. Law first mentioned. Is this not what happened in the Garden of Eden? After Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God, who's a master coach, comes and asks a coaching question. He knows the answer. He already knows the answer, but he asks a question that he knows the answer to because he's trying to see Adam I know where you are but I'm getting ready to ask you where you are because I need to know if you know where you are the question he asked Adam is where are you it's a question of awareness he said Adam it's not enough for me to know where you are Adam nothing changes if I know where you are things only change when you know where you are and we asked Adam and Eve where are you Adam and Eve did not have awareness so they didn't take ownership Adam did you eat well the woman you gave me so I, I want you to see I'm not bothering this I want you to see the passive aggressiveness I want you to see this subliminal shade he just threw at Eve and God he say, Eve, he say, the woman you gave me. Let me, let me go. See, no, 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 no. Because self-awareness will have you blaming God for something you're responsible for. I want somebody to talk back to me. I said a lack of self-awareness will have us blaming God for something we're responsible for. All right, God, why you ain't giving me this opportunity? What you know? He said, no, I got to fix your attitude. I got I to gotta fix your generosity. I got to deal with your greed. I got to, come on. The woman you, you gave me. What are we blaming God for that he's not responsible for? You never see greatness where you see blaming. 
Did you hear what I just said? Wherever you see constant blaming, you don't see greatness. And I know you don't know anybody like this, but there are people who always have a reason for why they not winning. Awareness brings me into ownership and ownership gives me power. The enemy doesn't want me aware because he don't want me to own where I am because he knows if I get a revelation that I had the power to break it. That also means I get another revelation and that is I got the power to fix it. I'm going to say that one more time because you didn't get it, New Jersey. I said the enemy doesn't want me to get ownership, to take ownership, because he knows if I get a revelation that I'm the one that broke it. It also means I get a revelation, I got the power to fix it. I got two words for you and I'm getting ready to close out, fix it. You've been anointed to fix it. You've been created to fix it. You've been built to fix it. You've been called to fix it. You got the power to fix it. You let them complain, you fix it. You let them tweet, you fix it. You let them go live about it, you fix it. Move in silence because that which you do in secret will eventually be rewarded openly. Fix it. I got three minutes. Can I have two more? Here it is. <laughs> there are things about me that I can't see that are hurting me. Lord, I need you to show me. There are things about me that I can't see that are hurting me. Lord, I need you to show me. Now here's a challenge. We need God to heal our blindness. Let me tell you why. Here's one of the reasons. Because the more successful you become, the fewer people that will speak truth to you. I got to go. Y'all not. I said, <laughs> the more successful you become, the fewer people that will speak truth to you. They will be so enamored by your accomplishments or so intent on using you in some way. They will be reticent and hesitant to tell the truth. Lord, give me the miracle of self-awareness. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, if we would judge ourselves, is that what he said? We would have no need to be judged. And our foundational text, y'all told me I could have three more minutes. Our foundational text, our foundational text exposes us to the power of awareness with a person named Joseph. I'm not gonna bother this because maybe I'll circle back around Father's Day because maybe y'all be more receptive then. But we... We don't give Joseph enough credit. It took teamwork 
to make this dream work. Come on now. I, 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 I want you to see this. Remember, Mary is experiencing, we told you this the other week, immaculate conception, right? Pregnancy without intimacy. Immaculate conception where God reveals to her and to us that I can get you the same results without taking you the same route. <laughs> that I'm so much God, that I'm so much God, I can get you the same result without you having to do the thing everybody else got to do to get it. I came to tell somebody don't be overwhelmed with anxiety because it's not happening a certain way. I want you to know God's got another way. So I want you to catch what's happening now. She's pregnant, but we just read the text. We read it together. Come on. We, we, we read it together. Let's be honest now. We read it together. Joseph, uh, Joseph said, okay, you, you pregnant? <laughs> and uh, God did it. God did it. said, God did it? <laughs> he didn't believe her. He didn't believe her? Or, or he's so overwhelmed by everything that comes with the assignment. That he says, I ain't signed up for this. When I said yes to you, Mary, I didn't know I was saying yes to everything. I don't feel like explaining this to my parents. I don't feel like having to go back to my friends and they side-eyeing me when I tell them you pregnant and God did it. Are y'all okay? Are y'all okay? So the Bible says, this, this is why I know, the Bible clearly says, he, in his heart, he was going to put her away. Come on, family. Is that right? No, 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 no. It says right here, verse 19. It says he's a just man, and, and so he didn't want to put her to shame. I'm not even going to bother that. I pray those kind of relationships in everybody's life, your friendships, your business partnerships, your romantic relationships, your platonic relationships. Yep, he was hurt, but he didn't hurt her. Come on. Come on. Come on, the average person, it would have been some shady IG post on that. People not all they say they supposed to be. He's a just man, so I don't want to put it to shame. So it says he resolved to divorce her quietly. Wait a minute, Pastor Darius. They not married. They engaged. But engagement these days, betrothal, was treated in a manner that's similar to marriage. It was really marriage without consummation and cohabitation. That's literally what it was. You still lived with your parents and you could not consummate, but once you were engaged or betrothed, 
the marriage was set a year from the betrothal date. This was to ensure the purity and the fidelity of the bride. If during the waiting period, the bride was found to be pregnant, you could be free from the marriage, but it still required a divorce. So Joseph had decided he divorcing her. He said, I ain't signed up for this. He was under the illusion that he had an alternative option. God doesn't change our calling just because a component of it makes us uncomfortable. Just because we changed our mind about it doesn't mean God does. Dear Joseph, you can't abandon what you were born for. It takes angelic intervention with an angel appearing to Joseph and says to him, no, what's she carrying come from God? And the Bible says this, I got to go. The Bible says this, Matthew 1, 24, when Joseph woke up, <laughs> he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. When Joseph woke up, The angel comes to Joseph in a dream. He sleep. But when he wakes up, when he comes to himself, when he sleep, he's not aware. But when he wakes up, he steps into awareness. And when he wakes up, the Bible says he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. I came to tell somebody two words as we dismiss, wake up. You've been sleeping on you, wake up. You've been sleeping on your gifts, wake up. You've been sleeping on how big you are. He felt like the task was bigger than him. But when he woke up, he realized I was built for the task. Wake up! You got a family to raise. I'm done, Tario. You got a calling to fulfill. You got people to help. You got to wake up. Because often, specifically in the emotional intelligence space, when self-awareness is talked about, it's only talked about into, or, or often talked about in terms of your ability to identify the things about you that need to be fixed. The focus is all on vices. I'm telling you to do what God's calling you to do. You need to be more than aware of your vices. You also got to be aware of your value. Because if you are not, you will assume things are bigger than you when you've been built for them. God! Joseph thought, this is too much for me. I can't take this. 
God, you gotta help me. But he woke up. I said, if God assigned me to it, he built me for it. praying today that God wakes you up. Because if you haven't stepped into it yet, you're going to step into a season where you feel like what you're responsible for is way bigger than you. And you're going to question your ability to carry it out. Can I do this at all? Can I do this in this season of my life? But you are Joseph. I got to go. Let me just show you one more thing. When the angel speaks to Joseph, in verse 20, the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Matthew 120, follow me in the back. Joseph, son of David. That's not David who defeated Goliath's son. But Joseph comes from the genealogical lineage of David. So the angel could have just said Joseph, but he said Joseph, son of David, because he was reminding Joseph. How Did you hear me? He was reminding him that you've been born for this you come from a generational lineage that has prepared you for this this has been preordained and prophesied angels reminded him you're not just joseph you david's son you're not just who you are you God's daughter. You God's son. You've been built for, for this. I don't know what's going on with me. God is introducing you to who you are. We're going to prepare to go. Everyone stand in. ATL, I want to pray a benediction over you. That's a final blessing. Whatever your receiving posture is, I want you to get in that posture. If it's standing, if it's hands raised, if it's hands open, whatever that posture is for you, I want you to receive this benediction. I look forward to seeing you this Saturday at 6 p.m. for our Christmas Eve service. We're doing Sunday on Saturday this week and look forward to seeing you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face of favor to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he protect you. May he provide for you. And above all else, may he grant you peace. This is my prayer for your life. In Jesus' name, amen.